Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Coleman, sitting once again in the safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good, man. It's uh, it's yeah. been a while since we were back in the safe house, but uh, I know yeah. you'd like it there. Yeah, it's okay. You know, it's a little cold out tonight, so I'd, I'd rather be home than in that fucking dump called Snake and Jake's. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so it's nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, every, everything going all right with you? Uh, yeah, you know, hanging in there, man. I uh, had, had uh, a busy weekend of dates, uh, played the big uh, uh, Loose Cattle Christmas show at the Maple Leaf on Friday night, packed house over there. That was nice. Oh, all right, yeah. I had a cavalcade of stars, one after another, many uh, former Troubled Men guests there oh, in, okay. in, uh, on the stage. I... And where was this? At the Maple Leaf on Oak Street. Oh, okay. And it was a Christmas spectacular or a holiday spectacular? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was Christmas. They called it a rectacular just uh, oh. to, be, to be cute. But, uh, you know, a lot of Christmas songs, most, mostly very uh, 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 oddball Christmas songs that uh, most people wouldn't associate with it. So. But you don't celebrate Christmas. So how did you feel about that? Oh, you know, it's playing a gig. I, I I could play any kind of music and have fun. So, uh, you know, play. I I always enjoy the playing part. Oh, okay. Uh, who else was there? Um, let's see. Uh, well, Michael Cerverus in the band. You know, I mean, pretty much everybody in that band has been on the podcast. Michael Rurik Noonan, Kimberly Kay. Uh, we had, uh, playing with us also, uh, Andre Michaud, who was on the, from the, the, uh, Lost Bayou Ramblers. He, he performed a couple of numbers, uh, we had, uh, Jason Mingledorf. He was on the podcast. He performed a couple of numbers. Um, I don't know. I'm forgetting some people, but a, a lot of, so uh, you were the house band. We were the house play? band and we, we performed music, a set of our own music, uh, I mean, a set of all Christmas music that was just loose cattle. Then uh, we backed up a couple of guest artists. Then we took a break and they had a, a series of duos and trios and other groups kind of did a song a piece or two songs a piece. Then we uh, loose cattle got back up and we finished off the the uh, I mean, it was like a almost three hour show finished off uh about another eight or nine songs backing up uh some other guest artists and doing some songs uh just with the straight band so it was a lot of music but it all came off uh swimmingly and uh yes yeah, successful night all right whatever yeah, right <laughs> okay. all right uh, how have you been manny i'm fine man i'm uh you know just here in the safe house and uh uh, I'm, uh, you know, uh, just doing what I do, you know, and that's sure. I don't like well, to go out. It's a horrible city murders up again. And I, I just hope I'm just here at home right. trying to stay alive. Sure. Sure. Well, that's, that's good. We, uh, now on Saturday, I, I had to go to Lafayette and play, uh, that night, but I know in New Orleans, it, it continued to rain all day and they had a big flood. A, a lot of people in kind of in your neighborhood, were you affected by, uh, by any of that mid city flooding? 
No, my neighborhood doesn't flood because we're actually on a neighborhood called Esplanade Ridge. So we're one of the few neighborhoods in this city that's above sea level. So we never flood. Right. Well, actually, you know, I have uh, friends who live on the other side of Esplanade, still on the ridge. You would think that it would be plenty high enough. But uh, apparently the fairgrounds uh, poured a whole bunch of concrete on one side uh, last year and where it used to be able to drain into the ground. Now it's all all that concrete drains into that neighborhood, uh, you know, between the racetrack and Esplanade. And oh, the pumps no. on that side were not uh, functioning properly. So they had, like, people that live on Lita Street and, and uh, some of those streets that run on that side were, uh, like, five, ten cars on every block were flooded out. Oh, no. So concrete was flooding or water was flooding? I don't well, understand. No, I'm what saying the, the, so the fairgrounds used to have just ground, but then they covered it oh. all the concrete. So it's so yeah. and all that concrete, when the, any water that hits it drains into the neighborhood. It doesn't drain. It drains away from the fairgrounds and into that neighborhood. Uh, well, you know, so, the stupidity of this town, it just keeps getting better and better. You'd think they would have figured this out like 100 years ago. But well, they can't figure anything out. Well, we had uh, no rain for the first half of the year. They had plenty of time to, to uh, work on the pumps. Yeah, so, and then know. all of a sudden, yeah, we, had, we were in a drought, and then all of a sudden we get a heavy storm and nothing works. Yeah, you would have yeah. think, you know, no, you would have think that they would have got their shit together. But, you know, it's this city, man. It's a fucking piece of shit dump, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they know. They can't get anything right here. And even if I became mayor, I don't know if I could get things done because uh, the stupidity and inertia that this city breeds, you know, I'd rather just say, you know what, you people are nuts. I'm out of here. It's an uphill battle. It's an uphill battle. Yes, it is an uphill battle everywhere you go, you know. Well, I saw that the mayor was, uh, I'm not sure if he was in town for this past weekend, but, you know, she's back on her, uh, her busy traveling schedule. Yeah. And, uh, apparently, she flew over to uh, the United Arab Emirates uh, to yeah. Dubai for a, a climate uh, uh, summit. So yeah, well, she, she she flew out on the best weekend too because the climate here was horrible, and she got out of town just in time. You know, so yeah, I I can't imagine what uh, what the mayor is contributing to this international climate uh, no. summit, but. You know, no, she's uh, she's buying rounds of cocktails, basically, is what she's doing. You know, but uh, listen, I want to I want to congratulate you because I saw <laughs> that your band, your band was on the cover of uh, Beat Off magazine. Right, right, yeah, yeah Offbeat yeah. magazine. Offbeat, yeah, 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 I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. Beat. Okay, it's, it's and, an easy, uh, easy confusion. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was I, I was kind of uh, perplexed in a way because. Uh, uh, you guys were there and your gal was there and nobody's smiling in this photo. Nobody's fine. In fact, I mean, you guys look like you're all constipated or something. Just, I was, just I was kind of half smiling. I, I was doing my typical, uh, sort of uh, half smile. Yeah. You, know? you guys, uh, I mean, you got to sell it, baby. You got to sell your product and you guys all look like you were just upset and like you were trying to, <laughs> yeah, you were, you were backed up or something like that. Uh, no, you? no, I don't think that was the case, but, uh, I was feeling, feeling fine, but I don't know, man. I, uh, well, you know, 
It, uh, I was happy with the way they came out. I, I like the way those, uh, those photographs look. I was uh, thrilled to be on the cover. First time in, uh, I don't know, about 25 years I've been on the cover. Maybe 20 years I've been on the cover yeah. of that magazine. Uh, well, you got to so. tell your band to smile more. I mean, you're, you're, okay. you're, you're lead singer. I mean, he's an actor, right? He should know better than that. He's got to well, get out there and sell the product, man. Uh, well, you know, you want to you, you have a certain gravity to those uh, photographs that you got to look at whole bunch of times you know you don't want to be uh, uh smiling it up too big i don't know uh, i don't know anyway <laughs> that's, that's yeah okay uh anything else that's all i got well uh you know we, we have to acknowledge a loss of a giant another troubled man shane mcgowan from the pogues he was on the show no, no, uh, 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 but he was a troubled man himself, you know, he's uh, yeah. definitely someone, well, we had Spider Stacy, his bandmate on uh, early on in the, in the, uh, the history of the podcast, our condolences to Spider Stacy and the rest of the Pogues. It's, yeah, uh, it was funny because I saw that and I said, well, fuck, you know, yeah, this guy's days were numbered years ago. And then I saw that uh, his wife, uh, uh, put out his cause of death, and you would have thought it was like liver disease or something like that. But it was VD. VD huh. is what killed him. Wow. You know, it was just crazy going nuts, you know. Surprising. Think, you know, you think they'd have medicine for VD these yeah, days. Yeah, it's very tradable these days. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, he was a good guy, you oh, know. Yeah. So uh, talented. And he, yeah, very talented guy. And, and who knows? I mean, he's one of those guys where, uh, I mean, I remember meeting him in the south of Spain when, uh, when I was on that film project, Straight to Hell, and I, right. didn't really get, I didn't really get to know him that well. I just kind of said, hey, how you doing? This is, you know, I was introduced to him and all that kind of stuff. But he was one of those guys who, uh, uh, kind of like Andy Kaufman or uh, 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 some other people, like you look into their eyes and you just don't know who's driving. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. He was just one of those guys like that, and and he was a. Uh, I think I don't I don't know where I don't know what his uh, childhood was like, you know. Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, they say the uh, the Irish or the whatever the Scottish have uh, uh, alcoholism diseases in their genes, but mm. uh, but I I've read more and more that it's not an alcohol gene; it's a crazy gene. These people okay. just have a crazy <laughs> gene, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he'll be missed. Oh, yeah. And, oh, uh, never be another. Uh, yeah, and uh, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, he lost his teeth early in life, which is, uh, it's just, which is cool, I think. You know, I, I, my teeth are rotting right now, but I'm an sure. old man, so. Well, um, you know, he had those caps. He had, like, uh, where they do the thing where they grind the teeth down to little posts, and then they make the fake teeth and glue them on, and... Uh, and so he pulled all of his caps off, so leaving just those little stumps that the 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 dentist had already had prepared. So you're not no. supposed to. No, why do you but, think he uh, did that? Uh, I don't know. Maybe the caps were bothering him, or maybe just to look more uh, grizzled. So yeah, maybe. Well, you but, know, uh, I remember when um, Spider Stacy was on the show, and when we talked about Shane. And, uh, and he, uh, he said something that I remember. He said that Shane really didn't like to drink much, but he just had that character and, you know, and he'd be walking down the street and the young punks or the old seniors 
would just want to drink with him. So they, right. they would, they'd constantly be buying him drinks. So he couldn't say no. They were you know? twisting his arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess they were twisting his arm, but uh, you know, uh, but so that 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 that's probably uh, helped. Uh, uh, you know, encourage him, encourage yeah, his yeah. inclinations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but, I gotta uh, hand it to. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say I gotta hand it to him as far as timing. You know, uh, in England, the Christmas single is a big thing. Like the, the we don't really have that here, but every year people put out singles to see which one is gonna be the big Christmas single of the year. Right. And Fairy Tale of New York, the famous uh, Pogues Christmas song. You know, it's it's been number one when it first came out. I think it was number one a few years ago. Well, you know, Shane could have passed in in uh july could have passed in august but like the true music business professional he hung on until december and i guarantee that uh, fairy tale of new york will be number one again this year yeah well i just hope he's get some uh publishing from that you know who knows well, if he sold it away you know yeah i don't know i'm yeah. guessing uh, somebody's gonna get some publishing off of it that's for sure yeah, I just hope it's the Pogues. We'll never know. Yes, yes, you yes. Know, we'll never know. But uh, yeah, he'll be missed. Uh, and but the funny thing is, I haven't even thought of him in years, and then all of a sudden he dies. You know, and you know, so he'll he'll be missed. So what yes, are you going to do? Yes, yes, right. You know, uh, okay, what's that? Oh, yeah. All right. So uh, what else is going? Anything else going uh, no, on? No, nothing else. Nothing else. We could uh, get to our guest if you're all done. Yeah, let's get to our guest. Okay, well, excellent. Well, it's a, it's a, a terrific guest. He's uh, f uh, far from here, which is why we're, we're uh, doing it remotely here from the, from the safe houses. He, but he used to live in New Orleans. He's a, a, an amazing steel pan, steel drum, master, uh, recording artist, singer, songwriter, percussionist, producer. Uh, when he lived in New Orleans, he worked with uh, various Nevilles, Neville Brothers, Charmaine Neville, uh, also played uh, with the Sun Ra Orchestra, Dr. John, Michael Ray's Cosmic Crew. Now he's in, in Denmark leading several bands, including the Big Gumbo Show, uh, concentrating on New Orleans music, also the Gregory Boyd Quartet. Uh, he plays all around Scandinavia, Western Europe, Russia, Ukraine, Japan. Also has the Black in the USA performance and lecture presentation that he's been uh, doing in schools over there. And a uh, recent thing, he has a new online clothing brand, Urban Island Gear. Has all kind of uh, clothing and accessories, t-shirts, hoodies. Gonna get, he's a busy guy, going to get into all that. But without further ado, the great Mr. Gregory Boyd. Welcome, Gregory. Oh, wow, the great. <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks, thanks for that, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're... <laughs> All right. I like it. So, Gregory, where are you now? Oh, I'm just, uh, it's like late in Denmark. You know, I'm, uh, I'm living in uh, this town called, uh, called, uh, Lee. Rue, R Y, Rue. Okay, it's like yeah, outside, okay. it's outside of that town. We just we just moved into the forest, you know. So like my wife and I and my son, we live in the forest. But we we were living in uh, Aarhus, Denmark, for a while, like twenty years actually, for some years. And we just recently moved out to this kind of like uh, like this forest forest house now. So that's kind of where we are now, you know. So so you're in the Netherlands. I'm in Denmark. I'm in Denmark. You're in Denmark. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And now who is a Dutch? Dutch, 
Like who, yeah, who is are the Dutch? Oh, that's 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 from my Netherlands. Yeah. Oh, they're the so in Holland. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Holland. Yeah. Uh, so, what do you call people from Denmark? A Danes. They're Danes. the Danes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're Danish. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, they speak Danish. Yeah. Yeah. But they yeah. still have the same soccer team, don't they? You know, I, I don't. I don't do soccer, man. <laughs> Not even a little bit, but I mean, they have a team. Sure, and they're pretty good. You know. Well, no, I mean, because the Netherlands are never represented in the World Cup. It's always Holland or Denmark. Okay, well, but Netherlands it, now, who's Holland? Now, who's Holland? Where's Holland, Holland and the Netherlands the same thing. Holland and the Netherlands are the same thing. Right. Okay, yeah, so they're the same, same thing. thing. Yeah, exactly. So why are they called different? I mean, are they it's different just people? Names. It's just two names. No, it's just two names. Well, it is confusing, Manny, because they have the – it's it's Holland, but the country is called uh, the Netherlands, and the it's people are called the, the Dutch. So yes, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, well, there's a lot of things uh, that goes like that. I mean, it's spelled differently, like they say. They call the Netherlands with with a D. They never spelled in English with T H. You know, so I mean, it kind of switches around. And I mean, right, even right, like right. The, the the name of the like what was it uh, uh, Den Haag? The, the name of those like the second and third largest city is called Den Haag. But like we the call, Hague. Yeah, we, yeah, we call it the Hague, but it's actually right, Den Haag. Right, right. Den Haag. Right, you know, right. So it's like it just depends on the who's who's speaking the language, really. But nothing to do with Denmark. Copenhagen is in Denmark. Copenhagen in uh, Denmark. Yeah, which is part, part of Scandinavia. It's actually different too because Denmark is well, yeah, Denmark. All right, so it's all part of Scandinavia, though, right? Right, so Finland, uh, uh, Nor- Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's basically Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. Like Finland is is Scandinavia, but not really in that sort of circle, you know. Okay, so, into the nitty gritty here. Yeah. So yeah, you're yeah. living in the forest with your family. Basically, yes, yes, yes. Are you living in a cabin or tents? No, no, they they just built a house out here, and uh, we moved uh, in, moved into the house. It's a uh, it's a house in the middle of the forest. So. And how long have you been there? In this house or in Denmark? Well, yeah, in, in the, wherever the hell it is, Denmark, Scandinavia, whatever the hell you want to call it. Where have you been? Denmark, and we've been here for 20 years, yeah. 20 years? Yes. Now, do you miss New Orleans? Oh, yes, I miss New Orleans. Absolutely miss New Orleans. Why? Why? <laughs> Why do I miss New Orleans? That's yeah. a long story. If you really like to hear it, I'll definitely explain to you. Um. New Orleans means a lot to me, you know. Like when I came, first came to New Orleans, I was quite young, you know. And it's like uh, it's first off, like like you don't really know unless you have traveled a lot. I'm sure you have, maybe you haven't. But it's like when you kind of start traveling, you start realizing what impact New Orleans has had on the world, and not only like in the United States, definitely United States. I mean, most of our music comes out of New Orleans, United States, but just that power, you know has influenced the world to an extreme degree. And it's like, you realize that as soon as you leave New Orleans. I mean, you start touring and stuff. You start, you, you just realize that immediately, immediately. And uh, I personally have gotten so much inspiration from living there, from different people that I've worked with. I mean, like, basically my sort of teaching to be an artist, like my abilities, you know, come directly from many of the people that I worked with. Of course, my father was an artist too, a musician, my mother as well, you know, we come from a musical family. But as far as my live performance career is concerned, and just my sort of way that I see music being being uh, presented and how you present it on stage and the rhythms, everything, all that comes directly from New Orleans. You know? 
So why did you leave? I left because they got married, you know. I found a wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, married a, you married a, a, a Scandinavian woman? A Danish woman, yes, yes. A Danish woman? Yes. And the drugs are legal there, so it's easy. I have no idea. well uh can we go back a little bit uh uh, gregory and and talk about uh you know your your growing up your family so where where where'd you grow up when you were a little kid when i was a little kid i I was born in milwaukee i was born outside of chicago and um i moved to detroit when i was still young a a baby basically my father got a job at the archdiocese in uh, detroit and then we moved um, uh, back to Milwaukee for a short while and then to uh, Colorado. And I spent my high school years in Colorado and junior high so school. So your f- father was a teacher, you're saying? My mother, she was a mechanic, actually. She's not a mechanic on cars, but she, she fixed um, refrigeration units, uh, uh, small 3.5 to 5 horsepower motors, um, sewing machines. She worked for Sears Warehouse at that time. She was working for Sears. Okay. I'm my, saying your father. Your father was a teacher. I'm no, guessing. No, no, or? No, my teacher. My, my my father was basically like a worker. You know, he worked. He was like a dock worker. You know, he worked. Oh, okay. Oh, for okay. a while, he just did like heavy labor kind of stuff. You know, and so uh, your mom worked with tools and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah she did. She did. Nothing she did. sexier. Nothing more sexier than a woman and tools. Yeah, my mother's great like that. She's very powerful like that. She was the first in a lot of things. She was definitely did a lot of things and taught us a lot of things growing up as well. Yeah. But there was a musical family. I, I understand you're, you're related to Muddy Waters somehow. Absolutely, huh? yeah. I'm, I'm on my father's side. You know, I still have some digging to do on that, but it's definitely, you know, the ruin that's been going around the family for some years. You know, apparently it's, um, you know, it goes kind of way back. You know, but my father and my uncles, you know, all my uncles and my father's side were, were musicians, you know. My uncle uh, um, Tim, he was a singer, and uh, some of my other uh, uncles, they were musicians. My father was a drummer, and um, they got together and cut sides, you know, in Milwaukee, and they, you know, cut 45 RPM sides back in the day. They had a couple of hits, regional hits. One was called oh. Turtle Rock, and the other one was called Teenager's Prayer, you know, that, that kind of dance move with song kind of, you know, kind of stuff. And um, they cut that, and then my dad kind of got out of that and just wanted to kind of, you know, marry my mother and get a job and, you know, kind of work it. And, you know, like, you know, I was in the late 60s and all, and you could actually do that pretty easily without having to, having both people work, you know, so that's kind of what right. he did, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you get involved in playing music? What was your first experiences with that? My first experience was, I remember, like it was yesterday, it was 1971 or two or so, like 71. I was four years old. I was in our house in Detroit, and uh, my father had a hi-fi system, and he, and one afternoon, I was it was too early for me to go to preschool. I turned it on, and uh, I heard My Sharia more for the first time. I heard uh, mm-hmm. My Sharia more on, on the hi-fi. You know, I mean, at the time, it was analog, you know, tubes. You had analog radio station, analog EQ, records being played. And that sound came over the hi-fi and just simply and filled up our house. And I remember being a four-year-old walking on air for the first time. I was walking around <laughs> wondering. I just felt this vibration because my brother is a painter. And I knew that I couldn't paint. I tried to paint. It looked like crap, you know, on a piece of paper. And I knew it wasn't, it wasn't me. So I was kind of in my head, even as a four-year-old, like longing for this thing that I could do, you know. And I, mm-hmm. and I found it one afternoon. I'm sitting there, and I heard this music. And I was just like, oh, my gracious. And, and after that, every song just was colors and sounds and rhythms. And, you know, just from that point on, I just I knew that that's what I wanted to do, you know. 
And what what was your first instrument that you played? The first instrument I played was, you know, like little toys. My father bought us a guitar. We had a little piano. And uh, we had like a little drum set. It had like a Beatles on the front, you know, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. Right, I mean, right. I mean, this is toys. We were kids, you know. But as I started to sort of play, play, you know, later on in life, I got into to, to school, you know, when they had school band programs and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was like I was in fourth grade and I started playing drums and started playing snare drum, you know. And um, uh-huh. my father would always play with us anyway because he was like, he would break out all the pots and pans and we'd be sitting there jamming in a room and da, 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 you know, singing songs. And he, he always had a set of bongos or conga, you know, and he would sit around and we would play percussion together you know, and sing songs and stuff. You know? Now tell us about the uh, steel pan or, mm-hmm. or steel drums, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, well, that was an interesting story. Actually, it, what happened was I wanted to go to college and I was in high school in Colorado, and uh, you know our family really couldn't afford for me to go to college, really. And I just getting a scholarship seemed like it's just it, it just didn't seem very easy to do. It was really difficult, and so I decided I wanted to. Uh, first of all, I just took a whole bunch of classes in high school, but I decided I wanted to join the Navy to go to college. And uh, I uh, found out that I had to audition and get into the Navy first. So I joined and got in, and I. I didn't get the first audition, so I became a cryptology technician. I was a CT. I was, you know, doing CT work with a TS security clearance and all that kind of stuff. And um, so I was doing that kind of work, but I wanted to be in the band. So I auditioned for the band, and I still didn't make it. I auditioned twice, and I failed both auditions. Then I auditioned, uh, like, a third time and still failed the audition. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep auditioning until they let me in, basically. So I just kept auditioning. And I think the fourth time I was living in Pensacola, Florida, and I was in a C2 school. And uh, the fourth time I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I auditioned the fourth time and I made it. And they told me I made the band, but there was no b- b- drummer billets or drummer openings, positions open. Uh, but there was still, but there's a steel pan drummer position open and i had no idea what that was they said they, they said they had a u.s navy steel pan band and i was like steel drum band what is that and i thought it was i had no idea i thought it was a bunch of guys sitting around beating on metal drums i had no idea really in my head I, I had no clue what they were talking about but i said okay we go check it out so we drove from pensacola to new orleans got into the band and uh, they showed me the band we went to the band room and it was like 15 guys and gals you know playing steel pans from trinidad and hmm. the first song they played was like, uh, I don't know, it was like one of Beethoven's, uh, like, I think it was the eighth, Beethoven's eighth or something like that. It was like Eroica, some kind of you know, major symphony. And, uh-huh. they, and they nailed it. And I was like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> this is cool. And then they went into some Kaiso Calypso number and just broke into this guy. And I'm like, right on, man, okay. And you know, me being a drummer, percussionist, you know, playing you know, vibraphones and, and all this kind of thing. I thought, man, I could definitely add this to like the cadre of my stuff, you know, and do something with it, right? So you already you already had some some experience with melodic percussion. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah, okay, I mean, absolutely. Because I mean, I came in there as a uh, vibraphonist and a xylophonist and a, and a drummer, right? Percussionist, so kind of thing. from from high school and from you know from all of my teaching, learning from that from different teachers and stuff like that. So right. Yeah, but I still had a lot, you know, a lot of schooling to do and a lot of, of experience to, to take in, of course, you know, so. Okay, you see these guys, uh, they, had actual, they had actual Trinidadians there uh, playing, so it, did you start studying with these guys to uh, to tell yeah, us about that? Well, basically, it was, it was, it was 
it was the U.S. Navy Steel Band. I mean, it was all American guys. You know, it was based okay. in uh, New Orleans, and uh, they just they just rocked it. Basically, I mean, I just came in there. They just rocked the band. They were like, "If you want to join the U.S. Navy Steel Band, you definitely can." And I was like, "Yeah!" So I joined the band. You know, I just joined okay. immediately, like from that day and forward. Yeah, y'all uh, were based there on the West Bank in Algiers, so the exactly, Navy base there. Exactly. Yeah, we were based there, right there in uh, in uh, Algiers. You know, right there, uh, General De Gaulle. Oh, yeah. believe it is. And, yeah, General uh, Meyer. Yeah, General yeah, yeah, Meyer. Yeah. Right, General Meyer. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, right. On. And um, well, yeah, did y'all travel around to other places? Did you go we play did. like the White House? And, we uh, did, man. We for like three years. Did we just like straight? In fact, the, the guy that the, one of the, the chiefs that that uh, asked me if I wanted to join, the first thing he said was. Well, if if you like to travel, you should join the Navy, the Steel, the steel Band. I mean, you have to enjoy traveling. So I do very, very much. You know, it was like music to my ears just hearing those words, right? And I mean, the first week I got in there, they were like, okay, we have a gig next week. I'm thinking like it's like a little gig in a park somewhere. They said, no, we're going to go play the blah, blah, blah air show in, in, in Boston, Massachusetts. And I was like, okay, cool. They're like, but you have to know how to play the pants in, in a week. You know? <laughs> I'm sitting there busting my ass off trying to figure this instrument out. Man. I'm like, oh, come on, man. You're going to be kidding me. Like, no, no, no. You, you have to go. And I, I mean, I, it was like crunch time, you know, crunch time. And that's not an instrument that's uh, linearly set up like the piano. Like the no, notes are not, not next no. to each other. No, they're made in like, depending on the drum, they can be made in minor thirds. It can be made in a whole tone scales, you know, fifths, fourths. It depends on what drum you have. And that particular drum I was playing at the time was in minor thirds. And um, it was, it's called a guitar pan, which is like three drums, you know, all each drum is in minor thirds. And it makes total uh-huh. sense. Once you see it laid out, it makes total sense. It's not, you know, like some kind of mystery or something, but you do have to learn learn the instrument, you know, basically. Right, because as you as you play with the two different hands, you have notes uh, uh, accessible to each hand, right? Exactly. That's kind of the the, the yeah, point yeah. of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, man, that's that's a very prestigious group, and and oh, that's that's yeah. a that's that's a group that everybody always loves to hear because it's oh, unusual. Yeah. Most people have never seen something like that, especially on that scale. Like you might hear a one pan drummer playing, yeah, yeah, yeah. or one, but to have a whole group like that, that's sure. uh, and and the the sound of of any of those instruments, they always sound like uh, kind of angelic, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, like- it's an amazing sound. It truly is. When you consider the history, you consider how it, c- how it came about. I mean, it's just an amazing development and refinement over many, many years, you know, and it continues to be refined, you know, which is really stunning, you know, so it, it totally attracted me to the instrument and the story behind the instrument, like all of it, just the whole thing just attracted me. Yeah. Now, what's the what's the first? Uh, do, were those like uh, converted oil drums or something? What were yeah. the, the beginnings of, of that? Well, it's funny if you go way way back. There was this kind of time where you know where African drums were banned, you know, in, in the islands. You know, it's kind of like during slavery, post slavery. It was kind of basically African drums were were banned, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, so people started playing uh, with, with, with what's called tambu bamboo, which, you know, tambu bamboo is like this sort of bamboo sound, you know, like bamboo sticks and this kind of thing, and that was banned, you know, and so people started using, young people, you know, teenagers really started, you know, using uh, biscuit tins and stuff, and I mean, there's a lot of it going on in the islands anyway, there's a lot of rhythm just going on with all kinds of stuff, people start using biscuit tins and making sounds. And they say, you know, a couple of different things happen. There's a man named Spree Simon that, that, that discovered the sound of a, of, of a stone on a can. And there's another bunch of different stories. But as far as, like, the person I'm most familiar with that the most refining as far as making the different types of drums, Ellie Minette, 
And Ellie Manette, he basically, you know, created the first what's called chromatic drum, you know, from a from a diatonic drum. He took the, like the first, mm. you know, drum and made like a, a, a single lead, you know, chromatic drum, which means you can play all the notes on it, you know. Right. But I mean, you know, that could be disputed, and uh, it definitely is because there's a lot of information out there that I have yet to find out about that um, that, that says other things, you know. But I, I know from the building standpoint and from building the actual instruments, like L.A. Minette had the hand in creating about six of the drums of the of the of the steel pan family, and he was luckily he was our tuner. He, before before he passed away, he would come to New Orleans and he would tune the drums. He would make the drums. And I had the opportunity to speak to him like pr- pretty regularly, you know, which was really, 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 really cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, uh, Joe Cabral uh, from the Iguanas has been playing w- with this uh, this Haitian group, uh, Ram. Okay. It's kind of partially based out of New Orleans. And he was saying all the Haitian groups, uh, you can tell uh, whether they're from the, the city or from the country. Right. because. Because all the city guys, the percussion instruments are made from car parts. Wow! Yeah, and okay, yeah, and all the yeah. co- all the rural guys, the percussion instruments are made from like farm implements, right, sure, tra- cool. tractor parts. <laughs> right. On. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's really cool. That's so. So you're in the 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 Navy Steel Band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you do one hitch. You don't ever see any action, huh? You don't ever yeah, get into oh, the shit. Huh? We don't get any crap. No, we didn't. Unfortunately, unfortunately. I mean, the closest didn't send I you to, to Afghanistan that, or anything. Uh, I, I I I lucked out. I mean, the closest I came to that was when I was uh, CT. You know, we had a couple of close scares, but uh, they were very close and they were scary. But they were they weren't enough to uh, to. Uh, put us out in the field or anything so when you're touring these gigs all across the world you're, mm. you're having to wear your navy uniforms oh absolutely absolutely yeah. yeah now are you getting are you getting lots of groupies uh no no no, no. groupies whatsoever no not even a, not even a tiny bit Oh, yeah. well that's a shame <laughs> and if i did i wouldn't tell you because anyway, so. usually women love men in uniforms you know yeah right then <laughs> uh, keep keeping it all buttoned down here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thirteen is nothing. Uh, okay. Now, like any band, when they're on tour, you you have certain things backstage, like on your writer. Is there anything specific that you needed on your writer, like green M and M's or Heineken no. beer? <laughs> no, basically, it was, it was the Navy. So first off, like the writer consisted of whatever the Navy gave us, basically. But one thing we did have, which which I thought was kind of cool, actually, was every town that we went to tour at, they always had what's called like a motor pool. And like the the motor pool is like on every base, they have a motor pool. Basically, it's all the cars and trucks and stuff that's used on the base, right? And if you're you're in the military, you can go and check out a car, right? Or van or whatever, you know? And every town we went to, the the steel band would arrive and we would would check out like uh, two two couple of big vans, right? And we would just go out in town and just hang out, man. So whatever, whatever city we were in, and, and, and it was kind of kind of strange because it had the U.S. Navy written on the side and really official-looking letters, right? So nobody ever messed with us. You know, it's like no one ever gave us any crap. The cops never messed with us. People never messed with us. We just looked like we're like like men in black, you know, like coming into town, you know. So that was, right. that was kind of cool. But other than right that, on. yeah, and we flew on, you know, DC-9s and, uh, and uh, C-130s, you know. And, I mean, that was about the extent of it, you know. <laughs> you know so, uh. 
<laughs> so you do your uh, your your three years here stationed yeah. on the West Bank, but yeah. uh, you, you starting to to branch out and, and yeah. meet New Orleans musicians and do sure. some playing because sure. I know I remember you from that time. I think you might have already been out of the Navy by the time I, I met you. I'm not yeah, sure yeah. about that, yeah, but mm. but you would come and sit in, bring your pans. I remember yeah. you sitting in with the iguanas a number of times. Sure, it was, sure, uh, sure. Uh, such a blast to, to have that sound, have you playing mm-hmm. uh, another time. Uh, we we played on a record together this, huh. that uh, Ethan Allen produced. Uh, right. so, singer songwriter Ellis from up north somewhere. Right, was, Ellis, right, right. Tigers Below, uh, I believe, is the name of the record. That, I love that record. Yeah, it's I think a great it's record. a really really beautiful record. Great record. So, but you're playing with all kind of other people. That's where you meet Michael Ray. And talk about some of your playing in New Orleans. You mentioned Nicky Sansenbach, oh, the guy we, we just lost. You were yeah, saying you played with Nicky. Blood and Grits with him. Yeah, talk about that song. Yeah. Well, man, basically, we, I got in the Navy and I joined Charmaine's band, and um, that was a magical night. Basically, I went and sat in that snug, and um, I really, I. I don't even, it's a blur how it even happened because I was so green when I went to audition for this thing. She just asked me to come and sit in. I wouldn't even audition, just came and sit in. And I was so right. new new to the whole New Orleans sit-in thing, but I just felt at home, man. I mean, it was something that just felt at home. I, I didn't feel like it was new or of any sort. I just felt like I was at home, you know. And I went to Snug one night and Charmaine was playing. It was her and Reggie and Amacy. And, uh, and uh, at that time, who was playing percussion? That was, um, uh, that was uh, uh, Kenyatta Simon was playing percussion at the time. Okay. Yeah, Kenyatta and uh, and Carl uh, Carl LeBlanc was playing guitar, and um, I came in. I set up my stuff, and she says, "This is Gregory Boyd." And I started playing. And she says, "Go!" And as she said, "Go," she said, "Go." It was like I just started playing the solo, and when I finished the solo, everybody just started applauding. They stood up and they gave me a standing ovation, and then she was wow. like, "She so she just basically hired me." Well, she asked me asked me to do a couple other gigs, but then. She goes, look, she says, look, you know, there's opening in a band. We'd love to just join the band. So I joined the band. And it was like a dream come true. It was a total blessing. It was like as soon as I got out of the Navy band, I, I, I graduated college at the same time and joined Charmaine's band and, and, and got out of the Navy with honorable discharge and went straight to Italy with Charmaine. You know, that's kind of how I went. It was like boom, 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 all within one week, you know. And um, nice. yeah, yeah, it was great. So we just started touring. And um, I was playing with Charmaine for a good while. We toured all over the place to a whole crap load of places, like all kinds of festivals in Japan and everywhere. Then I decided to get out and start pursuing my own ideas, my own band. I, I started this band called uh, Victory Over Self, Voss it was called. And I started touring with that. And I started playing with Nicky. And oh my gosh, that was great. He, uh, I, I, what happened with Nicky was this. I, I, I needed a keyboard player. Well, actually, I needed a place to record. That's what it was. I wanted to go someplace. I wanted to find a studio, and somebody had mentioned at the time there was a cat named Marvin Williams who was in town who was doing a lot of bass playing with a lot of different people, me included. And he was like, well, this guy named Nicky, Nick Sazenbach. I was like, okay. And I was like, I had no idea who Nicky was. And they said, yeah, but you know, they just got to check him out. He's got a place over on Hickory Street. He said, you know, he's got a studio, and blah, 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 blah. So I went by his place, and Nicky comes out. He's got a cigarette. You know how Nicky was. Right, sure. He comes out. There's a couple of, C- couple of CDM coffee. He's like, hey, man, how you doing, baby? I said, good. Goes, yeah, come on inside. So I sat on the piano. I showed him a song, and he goes, I want to join your band, man. <laughs> I remember that. I said, okay, cool. Cool. Let's do it, man. So we started gigging, nice. you know. We started gigging, and uh, we had, I think we had a jazz fest with me. We did a couple of jazz fests together, you know. Then I started playing Blood and Grits, and then and then I found Michael Ray, which was really pretty amazing. It's like Michael came to town with with Sunra, I believe, and mm-hmm. then 
And then he did a thing with Cool the Gang, and then he met up with Gloria Powers at that time. And somehow, I'm trying to figure out how, oh, I know what it was. I, I knew Gloria Powers from, from her work with this thing called Rhythm of Muse, Jerry Terrio and all these guys from that time. And mm-hmm. uh, she was like, you should meet up with, with, with Michael. He's, you know, he's got a crap of the Grammys, and he played with Cool and the Gang and the blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, cool. So, so I go by Michael's place, and the first thing I noticed was there was the place was filled with Grammy Awards. I mean, there were Grammy Awards in the trash can. There were, like, <laughs> American Music Awards stuff behind pillows and stuff. There was, like, every, like, the TIAC Awards, like, 15 of them, man, like, under the, like, stuffed under the bed. I mean, there was, like, gold records sort of right. lay, laying in the corner with the next, a, a, a silver, a platinum record, just kind of pushed them, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> it cracked yeah. me up, man. It was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's a trip. So we started working together. It was great. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Gregory, want to uh, uh, talk about your rest of your work in New Orleans sure. and uh, you moving to Denmark. But, yeah. uh, Manny, it seems like uh, about that time, huh? Yeah, it's halfway during the show. We take a break, and uh, the troubled nation knows the drill. Uh, yeah. We'll go get a libation, and we'll be right back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Gregory Boyd. Now, Gregory, I know you have uh, listened to the podcast, so you're familiar with our uh, listener-supported model that we're using these days. And, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we're putting out shows all the time. We have certain uh, patrons uh, on the Patreon page that are supporting the podcast uh week in week out we have a link to the patreon page you can sign up there uh you know several tiers uh you could you know just be a regular uh, drinking buddy at some certain point i I might come over and mow your lawn uh (laughs) we'll see i haven't had to do that yet but uh we also have uh for the uh occasional supporter we have the patron the uh venmo and paypal links and uh uh, a recent uh, person, uh, not she was not on the podcast, but her uh, husband, uh, Steve Lowry, was on the podcast. And uh, okay. Lisa Noble 
Lisa Noble, a great race car driver, jumped on and supported the podcast, Manny. Wow. Oh, wow. So, uh, so I want to shout out to Lisa Noble. And uh, y'all can be like Lisa. Those uh, the, the, the PayPal and Venmo links are in the show notes of every show, as well as the Facebook page. I'll remind you, uh, uh, rate, subscribe, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Give us five stars. Costs you nothing. Helps us a lot. Um, follow us on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram. We do have the Trouble Men podcast t-shirt still available and many sizes and colors, uh, men's and women's styles. Anybody that's uh, following the Jude Akers uh, Man in the Red Beret saga, they had the first big screening of the film this past Wednesday at Zeitgeist on St. Claude Avenue. They're going to have uh, six more screenings starting uh, December 25th through the 30th. Seven o'clock every day, so you can go check out that uh, man, the Red Beret. Uh, so they're having movie. it on Christmas Day. Yeah, I guess they are. You know. Yeah. Good luck with so that. You could go eat some Chinese food and uh, and uh, go see uh, the man, the Red Beret at Zeitgeist on Saint Claude Avenue. Anyway, back to our guest, Mister Gregory Boy. Ah, glad to be here, man. Glad to have you, Gregory. So, so you're in New Orleans playing, but uh, uh, Gregory, excuse me for a second. What what mm-hmm. the hell time is it there where you're at? What time is it? It is now three uh, twenty uh, at night. Three twenty nice. in the morning. Yes. yes yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Three right. twenty in the morning. Right. Pardon. And, and you sound bright eyed and bushy tailed, in spite of the yeah. Hour. Yeah. Well, you know. I, I got I got to move a little later today, just just for the occasion, you know. <laughs> See, there you go. You know, we had a, another guest on who was from uh, uh, over there from Sweden, okay. and uh, he never quite woke up the whole time. I don't think, you know. That's, I don't know. He was he he knew what time we were going to do it, but it did, he he didn't sound as uh, spirited as you do. I'm kind so of we appreciate too, actually. <laughs> we, we appreciate the energy. So mm. explain to us how you uh, you're in New Orleans, but how do you wind up in Denmark? Well, why? Up basically, I just well, it was funny because I was playing uh with um Carmen Ruffins for a while, and wow, um, really, yeah, that was like when he was kind of moving there in, in, in the 2000s, you know. And um, and one night I was at uh a Joe's Cozy Corner, he had, he had a couple of, like a two night stand or whatever the weekend, and I was playing with him, and um, in walked this group of students who were like. Let's just say they, they look like they, they didn't come from the Treme, you know? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and they walked in, you know? And they all kind of look like, okay, they're, I thought, well, they're probably not from Germany. Because you know, you get, like, you, like, you get to the point where you can tell kind of where, where somebody's from in Europe. Right, right, right. Still, you know? I could tell they weren't French. I knew that. And I could feel they weren't Italian either. <clears throat> I figured they were probably German or they were probably Dutch, one of the two. And I found out they were from Denmark. And there was like 15 of them, 20, something like this. And they all came in. I was playing pans. And, you know, everybody's playing, you know. And, um, and um, Michael Ward was uh, playing violin and this kind of thing. And, um, and we're sitting there playing. And uh, this girl comes in. And I see this woman. And I look at her. And I go, wow. I'm, that's the kind of woman I'd like to marry. That's the first thing I said in my head, you know. So wow. I, either her or somebody like her is, is what is, nice. is exactly what I said to myself. And then I thought, ah, she's probably married or she's probably has a boyfriend. So to me, that's, I just figured she, she did, you know, but mm-hmm. I didn't, and, and 
the serious sequence of events went like this. I closed my eyes, closed my eyes, and I thought to myself, okay, well, she's probably married, but I'm going to play her solo anyway, you know? And she sits down mm-hmm. with her two friends, and I kind of looked at her, and I closed my eyes, and I started playing this solo, you know? And I opened my eyes, and she was standing right next to me, taking on her knees, taking pictures. I thought, okay, that's kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) So we kind of talked. We didn't really talk, actually. I I went to the bar. I got a beer, and I'm hanging with one of her friends, who's now a really good friend of mine here. His name is Yorkin, you know. And I asked him what what her name was. He said, oh, her name is Lona. I said, okay, cool. And so I walked over to her, and we didn't say a word. We just looked at each other, and I kind of grabbed her arm, and we just kind of laughed, and and that, that was that. I went in one direction, and she went in the other direction. And that was that. And, and I was working at uh, Louisiana Music Factory at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my coworkers at the time, I told him, man, I met this girl man, last night. Her name was Lona. She was, she's from Denmark, and she was great. It was really cool. And as soon as I said that, she walked right in the front door of the place, ah. right in the front door, and just came over to me, and we just started laughing. We didn't say a word. We just started laughing. And we just almost like we knew each other for 30 years or something. We just started making jokes, just laughing, you know. Uh, You know, man, Greg, last time I was on stage Mm. and a woman was down on her knees, it was a totally different situation. Okay. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Totally different. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. It sure ended up the same way as you, I'm sure, with love and all that, but it was totally different. (laughs) Yeah, love spit love, probably. Um, Yeah. Anyway, so so uh, you you get her number, you follow her over there. Uh... So basically, we started talking, and um, she asked uh, a friend of hers where they're going to go out, you know. And they said, "Yeah, they were going to go out to uh, to Giacomo's. And so she asked me out to Giacomo's, which was kind of weird. I was like, "Right on, that's cool." So we'll just meet up there. So we did. And I remember going, uh, I was out that night that we were supposed to go out, and I was up somewhere up uh, near, uh, outside of Claiborne, somewhere trying to, go. I was at a movie with a friend, and the friend was really sweet, she was a really nice lady, but I really wanted to go meet Lona, so I was hoping this movie would end as fast as possible. I think it was like, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, I'm trying to remember the movie, it was, uh, what's the name of that, Some, something social club that was out at the time, somebody's social club, uh, Buena Vista social club. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah that was out at the time. So I'm sitting there watching the film and waiting for the end. Waiting for the end. <laughs> Finally, did and I'm like, I run to the bus, and you know, New Orleans buses are notoriously late. So I get there, and I'm like, oh god, I hope this bus comes, man, because if I don't, if I miss the bus, then I'm, I'm going to miss her, right? So I'm looking at my watch. I'm, she, I, I know the restaurant's going to close soon. I figured if the bus doesn't come. I'm just going to run down mm-hmm. to, to, to the restaurant from Claiborne. <laughs> I figured if I run there, at, t- at the time I was running a lot, so I figured. I counted, I figured, you know what, if I run it for 20 minutes, I can make it, you know. So, so Man on a mission, <laughs> I like it. So I'm sitting there, man, and I'm looking at my watch, finally the bus comes around the corner, right? And I was like, oh, yes, thank God. So the bus comes around the corner. And uh, I get on the bus, I get down there, I go to the restaurant, you know, I see her there, and then we just go straight into, uh, into, uh, into um, we had dinner at, at, at Jacqueline's and then went into um, the Maple Leaf, you know. And just mm-hmm. talked and talked and talked and just talked. It was really cool. In fact, they almost locked us in there that night. It was really funny. <laughs> yeah. So this is a love at first sight, really. Basically, and, yes. uh, basically. Yes. So, so you, you, you 
uh, I want to get you to Denmark because we want to talk about your career there. So, uh, long story short, uh, it's a it's a match made in heaven. You follow her over there, uh, you know, because she's a Danish citizen. You're able to get residency. Y'all get yeah, married. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're quite start lucky. a family. Mm-hmm. Now, now your wife is also a singer, right? She's a yes. musician herself. Yes, yes, in fact, she is a jazz singer. She is an absolutely fantastic jazz singer. And her, okay. And her parents are uh, musicians as well. Her parents sing uh, like this music is called dansk top, which is kind of like Lawrence Welk music, kind of. You know, mm-hmm. it's like this. Like every European country has a version of that, right? And right. And Denmark has this music that's of that type. It's called dansk top. And her parents actually are quite quite famous. You know, wow. in fact, they're very famous. They're like the top five selling groups in the history of the country. Famous. You know? Wow. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And it's like they basically I came to, to the country with them and, and into this kind of situation. <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden I'm in this kind of situation. Right. And uh, I meet them and we just fell in love with each other. I absolutely loved your parents. I mean, when we first met each other. It was like, boom, I was like, I've known them for years and years and years. Yeah. And uh, it was just really, really a, a fantastic coming together, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're immediately exposed to all these top-level musicians, right? That's got to help help out, like, Absolutely. meeting other p- people to play with, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was really funny because it was still kind of hard to get in because, you know, it's another country, another scene, blah, blah, blah. But Lillian Boutte uh, brought me to Germany in 93. Um, and then... Uh, and she's here, but she had been here constantly. And when I got here, mm. she just hired me, basically, and brought me into Germany. And um, we started gigging. We started doing gigs together. We started doing duets together. We did some records together. And she brought me with a couple of touring bands over there. So I'm, all of a sudden, I'm touring in Denmark. I'm performing in Denmark, and I'm touring in Germany at the same time. So it just picked up. The, things get, the, the snowball just started rolling, you know? So. Right mm-hmm. now, at some point, you uh, you electrified the uh, the pans, right? Yes, you, indeed. Like, start, yes, indeed. And so, so what was the purpose of that? So you could put it through effects, or absolutely, uh, absolutely, yeah. Well, I tried that in in in, in with Charmaine. Actually, I bought some mm-hmm. uh, some John Pierce and acoustic guitar pickups and put them on there and uh, tried out a couple things because I wanted to get louder. Because I mean. I found myself being drowned out with just microphones, you know, and I wanted something that was going to pick me up, you know, and bring me right. you know, to the fore of the band. And so I got those and, and played with Shemaine with those, and they sounded fantastic. And then I kind of dropped it for a minute because I felt like I needed to get more acoustic again. I, was, I had this sort of love-hate relationship for a while. And then, right. and then one night I was messing around with an old boombox, and I had one of these old, like, old you know, microphones that you have in a boombox. And I turned that on and plugged it into my, my four track and the thing overdrove, like it was an overdrive, you know, and it mm-hmm. was just searing distortion, man. I was like, wow, <laughs> that is great. So when I heard that, I was like, okay, I, I have to keep dealing with this electric sound. He, he tried to find my, because I mean, it was like, I thought if I can get that distortion with these, with this instrument, it's, it's going to be ridiculous. Right. It's going to be ridiculous. <laughs> so, so I kept doing that, and that's kind of where I'm at now. You know, I've got some some really nice distortions now, and some nice nice uh, filters and uh, different things going on. Yeah, yeah. Mm. nice, nice. Mm. So you get over there, you you meet other musicians, you start performing as a as a front man, right? I'm not sure if you were doing that in New Orleans, but I, I've uh, you know I, I know you have a huge career over there, and you travel all over the place. You were just in Portugal, I yeah, saw. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Mm-hmm. We were trying to get you on in November, but your November calendar was too jam packed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we're pretty busy in November actually, but we're kind of slowing down a little bit. December, we're kind of we'll pick it up a little bit later on. I have a lot of uh, lectures now actually, but I think the jazz uh, summer thing is going to pick up a bit. So, so you're traveling a lot with uh, like New Orleans music. You have this uh, the the uh, the big gumbo show, and you mm-hmm. also have another thing that's uh, going back to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, now, now, so you're you're taking that around all these, you know, Scandinavia. Are, are there many other people playing the pans over there, or yeah. and all there are really? Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. There, we have a guy here that's a fantastic jazz uh, pianist player, and and, and uh, his name is Rudy Smith. Rudy Smith. He's um, basically he's the first jazz pianist, like the first one. And, mm, and, okay. and he came out of Trinidad like in the 60s. And I met him, actually. This is funny. I met him with Charmaine, actually. We, we did the uh, the Barbados Car- Caribbean Jazz Fest at the time. I was 92. And I went and saw him, and I was like, oh, God, man, I had no idea. This guy. I mean, I had no <laughs> idea this guy, first off. I had no, no idea who this guy was. And he was up there playing like just bop and just like, you know, yeah. playing, just <laughs> killing it, man. And I was like, oh, my God, I got to go and practice, man. <laughs> so basically, that's kind of when I started really kind of focusing, right? Because I figured, wait a minute, there's dudes out there that are destroying this instrument, right? And so, right. like, so we got to know each other, and I visited him in Trinidad in '93, and I stayed in his house and we were hanging out. He was just talking all this stuff, telling me what's going on, and it was, you know. And so now he, I, by some fantastic stroke of genius, he lives here. He lives in uh, Copenhagen. Wow. Yeah, he lives in Copenhagen. And there's several other guys too. So there's there's a nice there's a nice scene here. You know, we, we you know, we, we we know each other and we do stuff together. I mean I, I go to Rudy's all the time to get my stuff tuned up and we hang out and talk history and just you know. So yeah, it's a, nice. it's a really nice scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well I know there's a, a huge love for the blues, for American roots forms all yeah. through Scandinavia. You know, we oh, yeah. had a uh, former guest uh, Arnie Skog. I don't know if you know him. He's a tremendous uh, blues guitar player from uh, from Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but he tells us, you know, they have a huge festival circuit that's all these different roots forms. So oh, sure. you're able to play over there. They must go wild for you man so and and i gotta say i love your singing voice man oh, uh, you know I, I i never really heard you sing in new orleans but listening to recordings uh, uh that you've made since then yeah it's uh it it has a, a certain unhinged quality at times which i really love Thank you know you, like man. you're really you're really going for it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you I, you know who said that like scott scott uh, uh, uh scott ages was he said that uh, one of the first best uh, interviews is that I had the torn and frayed urgency of a modern rocker or something like this. Okay. Like, it's something he wrote years and years ago. Okay, He's Scott. Like, All right. Yeah, really, yeah. It was a very, very nice quote. I thought, I'm going to keep that in my head, man. That's a really good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's good, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's what's the racial scene in in Denmark? I mean, uh, uh, you know, is uh, are the are the Danes pretty accepting of uh, you know non Danish people? I mean, uh, or I don't. Yeah, very, very. They really are. It's like it's probably one of the most open places. I've I've never been so distressed in my life hmm. as far as rest really? races. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's like I've been distressed as far. I mean, I, like there was times in the states where I was just. I was in stress mode, 
because right. of racial because tension. Because they don't allow guns there, right? Well, that's the first part. There's no guns anywhere. Yeah. You know, yeah. Anywhere. Gun owners, I mean, see, the states have gun owners, man. Yeah, I know that. I mean, come on. Yeah. There's, there's, that doesn't exist here. You, you don't have any of that going on. I mean, and people, people wonder how in the hell can we have a society the way we do because they simply can't conceive of a society where everybody's packing guns for the reason of protecting each other like that. It's like, they, yeah. they don't, I mean, it, it doesn't even exist here. The thought doesn't even exist. And when you talk about it, they look at you as though you're out of your mind. Like you're, and most places on the planet are like that. But Denmark is definitely like that, you know. And that's one of the reasons why we really like living here. That's one of the reasons. Because yeah, I, 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 yeah, I can appreciate that. Let me go back to your first date at Giacomo's with your okay. wife. Okay, please. Uh, do you remember what you ordered? Yeah, I, I had, uh, I had uh, blackened fish, and uh, she had blackened fish. And, that's like, and we uh -huh. had... Um, we also had uh, a crab. No, 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 no. We had uh, a lobster uh, 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 cheesecake. No, not lobster. Pardon me. No, 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 no. Lobster cheesecake? Alligator cheesecake. Alligator cheesecake. Alligator. Okay. Oh, wow. That and doesn't was, sound better, it was, but okay. It, it, was, it was stunning. <laughs> it was stunning. All right. Okay. And, well, and, I had, and I had grits and gravy with my fish, and oh, it was ridiculous. Ridiculously good. I can't wait to be right there again. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, some of your touring schedule from mm. years back, I mean, really, we've been trying to get you on the show or, you know, I've been thinking about having you on this show for, for a number of years. So I'm, I've been following you, you know, from a arm's distance. And I see you play, uh, I mean, in years past, you played a lot of dates in Russia. Oh, yeah, definitely. I've done Russia like four years straight. And we played like from north to south and from east to west. I mean, from like Vladivostok to uh, to St. Petersburg and all of Moscow from the north to like northern Siberia-ish kind of thing down to the kind of southernish area and all that, all that. Yeah, we've been all over Russia. Sure have. So, I mean, I have so many questions about that. Like, do you speak Russian or you, I know you must speak Danish at this point, yeah. huh? Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah. But no, I don't speak Russian at all. I mean, we just, we just went over there. My, my, uh, my, uh, my, um, my, uh, band leader. I mean, I was the band leader, of course, but my sort of manager, uh, Booker was, right. was the bass player. And we actually, we had management, but he was like, uh, kind of like the Booker kind of. And he played bass, and I and I uh, sang, of course. We have a drummer and a piano player, and um, that was a great thing, actually, because we started. Um, I basically, I started playing in Ukraine from 2013, and that was pretty amazing too, because I went to Ukraine, and what happened was I was just looking for gigs, really, and I just got on the got on the horn, and I just went through all of my my bookings, and I just started calling people and calling people, and calling people, and I got a call back from from this festival in Ukraine. And they were saying they wanted uh, me to come play at their festival, which was a, a live performance improvisation festival. And I was, and I was like, uh, and they were like, well, you know, I asked for the, the terms and the, the terms were kind of, mm, so I was like, ah, maybe not. So I didn't call them back, but then they called me back. And they were like, we really want you to play this festival because we, we saw your information and we, we think that you would be a nice fit. And I said, oh, can we give me some thought? Then they called me back again, and it was like, we really been like you. We, we checked your stuff. We were, I was like, whoa, okay, this is <laughs> serious, you know? Right, so I, right. went, I went and did the, the festival, and we did it after, and after just long to short. Basically, 
I just I hit it off with these folks. Basically, I've, the, the city of Odessa fell in love with me, and I fell in love with them. Basically, is how it works. And they asked, okay. me, they asked me to come back. So I just started touring and touring and touring and touring. And then I met this one guy who plays bass, and we started touring Russia. And um, that was absolutely amazing. It really was. I mean, it was just stunning. I mean, I, like the first year we did it, we did, you know, kind of medium-sized towns to small, not not small. They were like like small in Russia, like a million-something people. Like, yeah. like, 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 <laughs> we like a, like a small town. Yeah. Like a real small is like 750,000, I think. But like the, the regular size town was about a million, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we did those, you know, for about a year. And then we came back against our doing with the larger towns. And then we set, we set our sights on, on Moscow house, which was the sort of, which is like the Carnegie, Carnegie hall of Russia, basically in, uh-huh. in Moscow. And we set our sights on it. We played the house. We sold it out. And after, and after that, it just took off. And like for the next two years, it just took off. I mean, we went all over again. You know, <laughs> it was like holy cow. Yeah, it was ridiculous, man. It was ridiculous. It was fantastic, fantastic experience, man. Beautiful people. So, so Putin is down with the pants, huh? Well, this was vocals. You know, I, I, okay. I, I, oh, okay. I, I, so you're not bringing the pants. You, when you bring the quartet, you just sing it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Oh, okay. We went and did like the New Orleans stuff. We did Ray Charles stuff. We did, uh, you know, just that, that kind of thing. So recently, when you were in Portugal, you were doing like a tribute to Louis Armstrong, I believe. Exactly, exactly, exactly. exactly. Okay. That, was, that was all, you know, Louis Armstrong music and just me as a vocalist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at you. Don't even need to bring the pants, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 there's like different markets, you know, like like Berlin, for example. Like I play Berlin a lot, and in that market, I'm doing steel pants. I'm playing steel pants mm-hmm. and, and doing uh, vocals in that because I just feel like Berlin is one of these scenes where I could do that and kind of experiment and kind of do it, you know. So it's it's right. a very, very cool scene to do that in. Yeah, I know your wife runs like a gospel choir, and you, you're yeah. involved in that. Absolutely, she um, them, yeah. But also, you've done like some uh, ballet collaborations, right? You've yeah. created some some classical compositions. Talk about that a little bit. That's uh, yeah, that interesting. Was, that was early on. That was in New Orleans. That was from like, oh, in, oh, was it? Okay, yeah, that was from ninety one to like ninety four, something like that. And, and there was a woman named uh, Karen Schuler, actually, and that was uh, that was a funny time because I was doing a lot of modern dance stuff actually at that point in time i was playing with mamu cajun orchestra actually at that mm-hmm. time the mamu you know and uh, right. we did this thing uh did went to new york and played uh lincoln center actually and did this whole thing with uh with uh this modern dance piece called full filet and we and we premiered that in lincoln center and then we toured it from lincoln center to to, to, to to europe but i was also at that time playing with karen shoulder and doing ballet pieces, writing, you know, steel pans. And, you know, just what I wanted to do is I wanted to fill up this kind of like space. I wanted to kind of make this sort of a multi-instrument space for ballet music. Like I wanted to like, instead of like having the standard strings and whatnot, I wanted to like put some steel pans in there, some some acoustic guitar in there, some strings, percussion, you know, just kind of fill it up, you know, and do ballet music with that kind of, band like a multi-sound band which is kind of still kind of an idea of mine you know so yeah nice mm-hmm. nice so when you when you played russia mm-hmm. uh, i heard that your opening act was pussy riot is that true no <laughs> no twas not you know those guys right yeah, oh, yeah. of course yes of course yeah yeah, right. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, those guys are not, no, uh, they're not your best opening act, I would say. No, but <laughs> kudos. You mean gals, not guys, gals. Yeah, yeah, yeah three girls. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not your best opening act, I'm saying. Yeah, but, but believe me, they got balls. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> they yes, they yeah, 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 yeah. They really nerve, uh, more, more nerve than talent, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Well, well, let's talk about your uh, uh, Black in the USA. So you have this uh, this performance lecture presentation. I, mm-hmm. I imagine this is mostly to, to kids in school. Mm-hmm. It's um, older kids and what's called like high school or gymnasium, which is more like a preparatory high college situation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like high school, but it's it's more prep college than it is high school in the classic sense. Right, and then I have those, and what it is—it's about my life growing up in the states and and going through a bunch of stuff. You know, when I was growing up, we were poor when I was growing up, and we had difficulties in the family. Sometimes it was kind of broken home situation, and I grew up with some low self-esteem issues and a lot of stuff. I just, you know, when you're poor and you're growing up in the states, and you know, and I mean, I see a lot of racism coming up in the Midwest and things like that, and. And, like, when you had all that stuff stacked against you, you know, it is very difficult to kind of see yourself as valuable, you know. And, mm-hmm. I, and I had a very hard time seeing myself as valuable. And, I mean, I had the wrong clothes and I was, you know, I looked shabby and I, I had one pair of pants and two T-shirts and, you know, and I, you know, and I was going to this kind of more or less wealthy high school that – I was looked down upon like every day. I was bullied every day. Basically, I, mm. I had some kind of bully incident every day, pretty much, or I was called nigger or something every every other day, or you mm. know. And it was like I had to sort of like figure out who Gregory Boyd is, you know. And it was effing hard, man. I mean, I, I had to figure out who this guy was because outside of being bullied every day, I didn't see any sort of. Uh, I, like I felt strong, I felt like I could be something, but I didn't see anything around me, television-wise or even family, really, outside of my mother, you know, that could show me the quote-unquote way, right, to kind of give mm-hmm. me a sense of myself in a larger sense. And I had to sort of build myself, quite frankly. I had to, one day I just decided I asked myself the question: Who is Gregory Boyd? Who is this guy? Like, who is this guy? Right? You know. And in my head, I'm thinking, this is what I want to do. Every day, I start writing down what I wanted to be. I would write down something about myself on, in my in my you know Rolodex paper, the binder thing, about something about myself that I found excellent. You know, you know being a teenager, the first thing I wrote was, "I am cool." Gregory Boyd is cool, right? Yeah. And then the next day, I wrote, "Gregory Boyd is handsome," because all my life I was told I was ugly, right? And then it's like next it was like, "Gregory Boyd is a fine musician." And then I started practicing my ass off and becoming this what I want to be. And every to, day, to make that what you wrote down in the page true. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I like yeah, it, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, it all, basically, all I did was masturbate. That's okay, basically well, there, that's that's another option. Yeah, um, I just yeah, masturbated. Well, <laughs> well, well, so so Gregory, when you present this material to the to the the school kids yeah, in yeah. in Denmark, uh, it mm. must have a big impact on them, huh? It, it does, and uh, the reason why is because. Kids here are, they have an extremely good and well-organized culture, quote-unquote, culture of education in Denmark. It's too easy on them, right? They're coddled. But it's excellent. It is 
excellent. They just need other inputs to kind of refine the soup. It's like making the gumbo proper, like adding different things okay. to the gumbo to make their sort of life better. But, but the thing is, is they have an excellent uh, education culture here. My son goes through this, these schools here. And, I mean, I kind of inform him how life is in a lot of other places, but definitely take a full advantage of the education culture here because it is extremely good. It is extremely good. But the, but they need to understand suffering, right? They need to understand that, you know, they are in a very, very special position that not everybody in the world has. Right, right. And that's super, super important to understand. And I think that's one of the reasons why I have a pretty good connection with some of these students. Because we, we start talking, you know, it's like, guys, you've got it really good. <laughs> <laughs> you really do. You really do, man. I mean, it's like if they if they want to go to college, they just go to college. You know, it's free. Sure, it's free. Sure. And not yeah. only is the college free, but the books are free. I mean, they get money yeah. to go to college. You know what I'm saying? It's and, really good schools, too. Huh? It's great yeah, schools. Yeah. And it's not like a little bit of money either. It's like, it's you know, it's so, so, so the point being, it's like, you know, we hit it off, you know, because I'm able to bring this information. But I'm I'm enlightened because I'm like, wait a minute, you know, there's a culture of education here. I mean, it's not just you go to school. No, it's a culture of education. I mean, if you yes. have yes. a desire to be a mechanic, there's mechanic schools and you're not looked down upon. You're just as important as everybody else and just as much money goes to your school as every other school. It's like right. if you want to be a nuclear physicist, Boom, you go to nuclear physicist school and everybody's cool. But, you know, there's this kind of no no person left behind kind of mentality that's actually real. You know. So that's, wait a minute, how high are the taxes though? Very. <laughs> yeah, okay, well very, that's very, it. Very, very well. Yeah, that, you get all yeah, that, but you're paying for it in the taxes, right? Well, hopefully. I mean, we you know this you know, we're I when I first came here, I had this kind of term that I still like to use, like shining the brass horse, you know. It's like we we, we we tend to shine the brass horse over here a little bit, like like, which I'm glad of because we got a brass horse to shine. You know what I'm saying? So like, there's certain problems that to me are like brass horse problems. Like we have problems in the states that are like <laughs> we don't even have the horse. We just have the problem, right? It's like <laughs> like here we got a brass horse. Like we actually we got the horse. We can just shine it, you know. So it's like there's, right. there's times where it's like, okay, guys, you know that needs to be brushed up. But I mean, you know. You know well, uh, you know, we're on the downslope of the podcast, but uh, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, your new online clothing brand, oh, Urban man. Island Gear. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. You know, we have the Trouble Men podcast t-shirts, ah. and and we've had, uh, and you know, we, we've had a positive reaction to them. We have had uh, requests for uh, G-strings and Speedos, <laughs> cool. um, and I was looking over your, uh, your whole line, and you don't have either of those items but you do have a lot of other ones i do so tell us about urban island gear oh man great thanks for asking basically urban island is a uh, a record label that uh i came out with there's also a song i did some some time back it's also kind of a, a way i'd kind of describe my music so i figured you know the, the the logo is from a photo that a really good photographer, a great friend of mine, took over here, and I just gave it to another friend, and they made a logo out of it. I thought, you know what? Let me see if I can sell some of my merch, but not just sell the merch. So let's try to figure out a way to sort of like sell the merch, but like make a merch brand, if you will. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And figure out some kind of way to kind of brand this in some cool way. 
So I started branding it as not just merch, but like a branding kind of concept. And um, you're going to transcend the musicality of it. You know, it starts with the music, but uh, it's bigger than that. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a band trying to sell t shirts per se, although that's nothing wrong with that because I love selling t shirts. But uh, I figured, you know, first off, I love clothing and I love style. I love when folks are dressed well, you know, or even if they're not dressed well. The fact that just if you think about what it is you're wearing, there's there's an art to what it is you're wearing. It's like it's like painting for the body, right? Like clothes it, you know what I'm saying? So it's like I, I really enjoy that sort of thing, you know. Hmm. Well, you know, I saw you have the uh the the hashtag I am somebody oh, t shirt. Yes indeed, yes indeed. And I thought I th- that has my name all over it. Oh, so. man, good stuff, dude. Good <laughs> stuff. That comes from my performance lecture, actually, because at, at the end of the lecture, I say to the, the students, it's like, and it comes from, you know, the 1973. So, so it's just Jesse Jackson, right? Absolutely. I, I am watch somebody. Yeah, right, yeah. Exactly. Watch yeah. stacks. Exactly. And I use that term because it kind of, it transcends that, you know, into mankind, if you will. You know what I'm saying? That's why you yeah. that because yeah, yeah. everybody's somebody, right? So at the end of yeah. the, um, the performance lectures, I always have the students say, I am somebody. And, uh, you know, I'm young. I've got ideas. I'm going to change the world. I am somebody, you know. And I figured, hey, man, let's make some T-shirts and put it out there, you know, and see how, you know, see how it looks. So. It's great. I can't believe that Jesse Jackson didn't have that trademarked, but uh, good for you for uh, for for <laughs> jumping in there. You should trademark it yourself. Just, just a, a bit of advice. I like this after, you know. I think I'm going to do that. Thank you for the info there. But, uh, yeah, man. Uh, well, Gregory... This is so much fun talking to you, man. Me too, man. And, uh, Dude, yeah. Wow. Wow. It's been brilliant. Yeah. Gregory's all over Europe, you know, and uh, he's a moving target. So, he's, uh, <laughs> you know. Oh, dear. <laughs> you got to keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, man. Well, uh, Gregory, thank you so much. My uh, pleasure. Manny, a pleasure, man. Yeah, thank you. Uh, good night. Get some sleep, man. I will indeed. I will indeed. You know, Manny, I just saw something. I'm just going to kind of make sure this, this is true. Weren't you in a film, a couple of films? Oh, yeah. I've been in some movies, yeah. Yeah, yes, I, know. I think there's one I think that you were, were, were. Did you play like a sort of bit part in a, a film about uh, a basketball team or something like that? Yeah, Glory Road, yes. Glory Road, right, exactly. I, I, you were the. Great movie. It was a fantastic movie, but uh, you were the guy who was in the, in the kitchen there, right? Yeah, I, the 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 all the uh, uh, basketball players come from the East Coast. And they're right, yeah. put in this little two bunk town in San Antonio or South exactly. Texas. Exactly. And they don't know what Mexican food is. And yeah, I'm a, yeah. Yeah, I'm a cafeteria worker. And they, the guy's like, I'm saying, do you want taco, nachos, burritos? Burritos, and he's like, hot doggo, right? Yeah, he's like, hot doggo, man. I'm still, I'm still getting paid for that movie. I'm still getting residual <laughs> checks. Good for you, man. But you know what's funny? I was, I was just thinking about that the other day, man. Isn't that funny? I mean, I'm mm. serious about this. Like yesterday, I was thinking about that very thing. I'm not even sure why, but I was, you know. And just, you know, I was doing some research on you guys, blah, blah, and I came up. I was like, oh, that's just too weird, man. Yeah. <laughs> just well, too you weird. Know, the, the, the funniest thing was is that I had filmed that part um, about five months before Katrina hit. Okay, okay. And I got paid, you know, I'm a SAG member, so I got paid a, a, a pretty penny for that. For five lines and under, you get paid at least about two grand. You know, it's like, so um, 
But at that time, I was living above the circle bar still. Wow. And my wife and I had just had a baby, and I was getting ready to move into her house. And Katrina hit, and I didn't really have much of a bank account or anything like that. I was just kind of still living the uh, crazy lifestyle. And I got that check, and I got it cash, so I got $2,000 in cash. I didn't have a bank account then. <laughs> Classy. <laughs> yeah, I had 2000 But it came in so handy because about, I'd say what, you know, Katrina hit, and we had to evacuate, and all everything, all the power was down everywhere, all across the state, so everyone was just taking cash. Wow. And there's so Manny I, Chevrolet holding the big uh, yeah, Chicago roll. Yeah, and I had like nice. $2,000 in cash, so I was able to pay for everything. I just got a residual check about two months ago for that, Gregory, for like $9. Yeah. <laughs> it's still that's one of those small sleeper classic movies man that that's, yeah that, that one they, they will they will play that one it's it's a good story well well gregory again we could talk forever but uh <laughs> <laughs> man we gotta wrap this one up yeah okay good night yeah. gregory thank you so uh gregory is always in the Trouble Men Podcast. Uh, we like to say trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. Thank you, buddy. Good night. All right, guys. Good night. Good night now. It just feels like I'm always on the run, yeah. And everyone here Is trying to get them some. I might not be qualified. At least that's what they say. But I'm the man, you're the ears. And we gonna do this thing my way